Good to have you here at City First. Thank you for honoring uh, Jen and myself and all the pastors. We, we really do consider it an honor to serve you, and uh, we really believe that uh, it's something that God isn't just calling us to do, but we actually want to do it. So we love you guys. Thank you for honoring us. And today, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us either in person at one of our locations or online, and uh, why don't you put your hands together for God Behind Bars and Cape Coral and City First Anywhere. Yeah. And speaking of Cape Coral, let me give you a little update about your generosity, church, okay, because you know this, about a month ago, uh, Hurricane Ian, literally the eye of the hurricane went directly over our physical building down in Cape Coral, Florida, did a lot of damage in the community, and because of your generosity, we so far have been able to give out, ladies and gentlemen, 950,000 pounds of food, supplies, and water, and that does not even include the fact that we are able to give donations to like a covenant partner organization called Convoy of Hope, who is also handing out things. So you know what? We've been a part of, of the relief efforts there in a very tangible way, not just saying we're praying, although prayer is important, but also actually helping to meet physical needs in the name of Jesus. And I want to get a drum roll for this, ladies and gentlemen, because you have altogether given to the Hurricane Relief Fund so far $115,000. Can you believe that? That is huge. Come on, give yourselves a round of applause. That is massive. And I would say that's even a little bit of an uh, outdated figure. There's even been some donations that have come in in the last couple of days. And we are in it for the long haul to be able to help bring relief there. And uh, just realize when you give to our Hurricane Relief Fund, every penny of it is going to actually help those whose lives have been turned completely upside down in that area. And uh, we're going in the name of Jesus, showing love. And actually, there are a lot of people that are coming to the Cape location that have never been there before. But guess what? Because we express love by giving out food or water or whatever, they're like, what's this church thing about? And they've come, and they're now part of our City First Church family. So if you've recently come, I want you to just say, or know that you're welcome. Thank you. All right, we're in a uh, series called Energy Vampires. We're talking about emotions that suck the life out of you, all right? And uh, today I'm going to talk about an emotion that uh, I believe all of us deal with to a certain degree, to a, a certain you know, amount, whether it be on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. Today I want to talk about the emotion of perfectionism. Now, as I say that, I realize some of you are going, well, I don't deal with that. In fact, just to be honest, when we were coming up with a list of emotions a couple of months ago that we would be talking about during this series, perfectionism came up, and I even myself was like, I don't know if that one really pertains to the masses. Um, I mean, do we really have a lot of people that are trying to be perfectionists? And so I was even thinking, eh, I don't know if I'll do that one. But the more I began to study it, the more I realized, actually, a lot of us are silent or closet perfectionists. We may not even realize it. Here's a question. Do you know how to spot a perfectionist? The answer is they will tell you they're not a perfectionist. <laughs> In fact, even if right now you think, oh, today's message is not for me, just listen because 90% mm, sure it may be for you. You just don't realize it, but I'm going to hopefully unveil today some truths about perfectionism and how to overcome these, these mind games that suck the life out of us. Because performance 
an achievement in life. It is something that a lot of us are concerned about, whether it be in our careers, our workplaces, our families, even in our appearances, in our schools. In fact, in the 90s, there was um, a, a, a store that was in the mall, in malls all across America, and the store was called Successories. Now, for those of you who grew up in the 90s, you went to the mall, you might remember the Successories store. You'd go in, there was like, you know, posters that had these motivational sayings or little plaques or things you put on your desk. And, and I mean, Americans bought these things by the truckloads. I mean, you found them in like offices. In fact, you may even work in an office still that has like little mo- motivational like posters, right? Or maybe you have it in your, your home office. Well, here's one like from Successories back in the 90s. It was called Excellence. Had a nice little like picture. And it says, Excellence is the result of caring more than others think is wise, risking more than others think is safe, dreaming more than others think is practical, and expecting more than others think is possible. And so you'd read these and you'd go, I'm motivated to work harder, to be excellent, to be as as good at my job as possible. Well, also in the 90s, or towards the late 90s, there was another company that came around called Despair Inc. It's called Despair Inc. And what they did is they took the concept of successories and they made similar posters and pictures, but only it was satire. Like it was satire. Like for example, like this one, get to work. You aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. Or another satirical one on potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. (laughs) Or here's one, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Or here's one, collaborate. So the best of us have to carry the rest of us. Some of you are like right now going, wait a minute, that's actually my workplace. Anyway, or how about this one, motivation. If a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job. The kind robots will be doing soon. (laughs) Some of you are like, ouch. All right. Now, I realize these are funny, full of satire, you know, that is kind of sarcastic. But when it comes to actually work or it comes to our relationships or it comes to our schoolwork, or like our, you know, career training, or it comes to like life in general, many times we feel like sometimes we fall more in the category of despair ink kind of posters rather than successories posters. In other words, we're doing everything we can to be the best, to be perfect, and yet the more that we do it, the more we realize that we fall short. In fact, we try to overcompensate in trying to be perfect in all the areas. Like we're trying to be the perfect spouse, or we're trying to be the perfect student, we're trying to be the perfect friend, or have the perfect look, or the perfect outfit, or the perfect example of success in the workplace. But here's the problem, and I'm going to be Captain Obvious here for a moment. The problem is this, that you will never, ever attain perfection. It's impossible to be perfect. In fact, they did a study um, of 50,000 Americans, Canadians, and people who lived in the UK, so Britons, and they did like this study from 1989 all the way to 2016. And they're trying to like, kind of like monitor and research this idea of 
perfection. And over a 30-year period of time, approximately, the desire to be perfect, listen to this, increased by 33% in what they categorize the Western world in these three nations. It increased 33%. And this increase in, 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 in a desire to be perfect has created a lot of unhappiness and striving in our workplace, but not just in our workplace, in our lives, in our families, in our schools. In fact, um, researchers in this study discovered there were two main reasons why there's this rise in perfectionism. The first one is kind of obvious, the internet. So in the last half of those 30 years, they saw like a hockey stick growth in perfectionism because of the internet. Like you go on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or whatever, and you see the reels or the pictures of other people's lives or like their outfits or their vacations or their kids or whatever else, and you're like, well, my kids aren't like that, and my house doesn't look like that, and my workplace doesn't look like that, and so what do you do? You feel less than, right? And you try to strive for perfection. Now, kind of all of us know this, though, that that people only put their best look mostly online, right? So you're trying to attain to something that isn't real. It's actually plastic and artificial because it took them 15 takes to make that real, R-E-E-L, to make that, right? The second thing that, that uh, the researchers found out is this, that we live in a culture that places value on achievement over everything else, so in other words, in culture, we're constantly indoctrinated with this idea that your value is what you can produce or do. So it all is based upon performance. Well, here's the problem with perfectionism. Perfectionism leads to feeling inadequate. Why? Because here's the definition of perfect. It means without fault or defect. None of us can attain that kind of a standard. All of us have faults. All of us have defect. We will never, ever be perfect in our careers, our education, our relationships, our life. We're never going to be perfect. In fact, we are flawed creatures from the very beginning, the Bible says. And this also flies a little bit in the face of some, some common thought. You know, people are like, well, humans are basically good. Have you ever met a human? I mean, do you watch the news? I mean, like, here's what the Bible says, which I think is a more accurate description of humans. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone, everybody say everyone, one, two, three, everyone has sinned. A little bit of an unpopular topic nowadays, but everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious, righteous, and I would even say perfect standard. The word sin is kind of like an archery metaphor. If I have a bow and arrow and over here on the side of the stage I had a target with a bullseye and I pull back the bow and I have the arrow knocked and I try to shoot the target and guess what? I miss the bullseye. It's off mark. What sin really means is to miss the mark. It means here's the standard and you came to here. Okay, so because of this, we will never reach perfection on our own because all of us have sinned. It's kind of like this vase over here. You know, this vase is an expensive vase. Um, it was created by a potter or um, 
someone who is the creator of this took a lot of time. They, they spun it on the potter's wheel. They then painted it. Um, they, they might have put it in some sort of a kiln so it like hardened up and all of these things. Like a lot of intentionality, a lot of work went into this very expensive vase that you then go buy and you put it on a mantle somewhere over a fireplace or you put it somewhere on a shelf so that people could look at it and see its beauty because it has no flaws. It is exactly the way that the creator created it. But... If I do that, now all of a sudden, it's lost its value, it is broken, it does not have the same shape or consistency or look that was in the mind of the creator. Sin does this to us. Because here, listen, you were created in the image of God, imago Dei, Latin meaning in a sense that you are in God's image. You were created that way, but guess what? Sin took something that is perfect and made it broken. And no matter how much we try in our own efforts, and by the way, a lot of us are doing this in the workplace. We're doing it through trying to achieve certain things in our educational journey. And again, none of these things are bad. Education's not bad. Working hard's not bad. Like being in our family relationships, we're trying to take, we're trying to piece it all back together. But the problem is, it doesn't look the same. Even if we were to glue it, duct tape it, and put it back together again, it doesn't have the original look or value. It's broken. And some of us are trying so hard to take the brokenness of our lives, the mistakes that we made, the wrong choices we made, the fact that we live in a hopelessly broken world, sometimes things have happened to us, and we're trying to piece it all together, and we're super frustrated because it doesn't look beautiful. It looks broken still, right? So maybe, just maybe, instead of trying to focus on being perfect, we should focus on being perfected. It's a difference. Okay, now listen, Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, you're the forgiver and leader of your life. He is a perfect Savior. In fact, the Bible even says this about Jesus. It says that in essence, in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, it says the high priest, meaning Jesus of ours, understands our weaknesses because he lived on the face, he was God who became man, who walked in this hopelessly broken world that was tarnished by sin, that it wasn't the garden the way that God intended it to be, but sin entered the world and now is hurt and pain and sickness. Jesus walked in that. He walked in that. He understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do. In other words, that he was tempted, but the difference, yet he did not sin. That's what separates us from, from Jesus. He didn't sin. So he is perfect. We are not. So you say, okay, well, how are we becoming perfected? It is not based upon our performance. It's based upon grace that's given to us by a perfect Savior. In other words, because he is perfect, he extends grace to us. He goes, I know that Jane, Joe, Larry, Bob, whoever, I know you cannot be perfect on your own. But Jesus says, I'm perfect, and I walked to a cross and died for your imperfection. So now I give you grace. In other words, here is a quote of Jesus. It's found 
in the book of Matthew. It says, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, for those of you that already deal with perfectionism, you're like, okay, that verse triggered me. Because how am I to be perfect? Like, God's perfect. I can't. Well, Jesus is not saying that you are perfect. It is basically what he's saying there. He's talking future tense. You will be perfect just the way that my Father, God, is perfect because Jesus is saying you're not perfect, but I'm going to help perfect you because of the work of the cross. The word perfect there, let me, I mean, I, I can realize some of you are like going, I'm not, I'm not tracking with you. The word perfect there in the original Greek, which is what the Bible, that part of the Bible is written in was Greek. The original word in Greek is teleos. Now, teleos means this. It means finished. It means complete or completed. Finished, complete, where we get kind of the concept of perfect. All right? Jesus is saying that, that you know what, we must be perfect, but we aren't going to be perfect by achieving our own perfection, but rather, Jesus was forecasting, he was saying, because of what I'm going to do on the cross, I am going to make you perfected. In your imperfection, I'm going to make you perfected because of what he did, not what we do. Does that make sense? So, to even drive that point home even more, on, it says in John 19, verse 30, as Jesus is hanging on the cross... He's about ready to die. It says that when he had received the drink, Jesus said these three famous words. We talk about them all the time around the Easter season. It is, what's the word? Finish. Do you know what the Greek word for finish there is? Teleos. It's the exact same word that Jesus used when he said you will be perfect, teleos. Well, now he's on the cross and he is saying this work, what I'm about to do, I'm going to die for the world's sin, it is finished. In other words, it is complete, it is finished, it is perfect. So here's what we know. We know because of what Jesus did on the cross, our imperfection is covered by his perfection. That his work covers our brokenness and our wrong choices. Does that make sense? In fact, it even again, I'll even drive the point home even more. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice, in other words, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he, meaning Jesus, has made perfect, do you know what the word, the Greek word there for perfect is? Teleos, forever, He's made perfect forever. Who? Those who are being made holy. Us. Because of the sacrifice that he has made complete, finished, perfect, you and I, who he's making holy every single day. I'm not holy all the way yet. I'm a work in progress. And so are you. But guess what? In God's eyes, we are pictured as perfect because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you've made him the leader and the forgiver of your life. Then this is what you would say. You would say, I've been made perfect in Christ. That You know what? It's not because I'm trying to piece my life together. Hey, look at me. I'm perfect. No, you're not. You're broken. 
But because of Jesus and what Jesus did, you are perfect. And guess what? This is huge. You are not perfect because of your performance. You are perfect because of your position. You are now positioned in the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God because of Jesus' work on the cross. You are in Christ, the Bible says. So, you know, it's not what you do. It's not what you do. Now, we need to remember this because I think we forget it. We leave church here in a few moments. You go back to your life. You go back to your home. You go back to school tomorrow. You go back to work and and, and you mess up, and you're in a broken environment. And you need to remember, though, because of the cross, you've been made perfect. So all of your striving to be perfect is in vain, and it's only going to make you depressed and feel less than. Rather, you must every day go, today, I am perfect in Christ, and I'm going to do my best to live the way that he wants me to live. Your value is not in what you produce. Your value is not in how good-looking you are. Your value is not in how many degrees you have hanging on the wall. None of those things are bad. My point is, that's not your value. Your value is what the Creator calls you. Yes, the Creator made you perfect. You became broken because of sin, but now He's made you perfect again because of His perfect Son. And now He says, I love you. I give you value, not your paycheck, not your achievements, not what people say about you. None of those things give you value. God gives you value because you are now in Christ. So I need to uh, take a moment. I'm going to give you a little, a little like story. We're going to have a little parable here, okay? And I'm going to read, you, I'm going to read your mail, some of you, okay? So put on your seatbelt, okay? Um, it's a little parable. You have a friend. And uh, this friend calls you up and says, hey, can we go out to coffee? I need to tell you something. And this friend is a Christ follower also, and so you go to the coffee shop, and the person looks at you across the table, and maybe they even begin to get a little, you know, emotional, and they tell you that they screwed up real good. They tell you that they did something that was sin. They tell you that they made a mistake. They, they, they tell you something, and they're, they're confiding in you. And what do you do back? You look at them, and you say, thank you so much for telling me. You know what? You sharing this with me, that took a lot of courage. You could have just stuffed it. You could have just pretended like it didn't happen, but instead you came forward. And, and you know, the Bible even says to confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. So you're looking at that person across the table, across your cappuccinos, and you're saying, I want you to know I love you, but more importantly, God loves you. And he forgives you. And his grace is amazing, just like the song. It covers all your sin. And I know you feel bad. And I know, friend, that you're beating yourself up. But I want you to know that God loves you and he completely forgives you. And I want you to know that I love you. Then you get in the car. And you get in your car and you start driving home. And as you're driving home, a minivan cuts you off. And uh, you know what? As the minivan cuts you off, all of a sudden something comes you know, boiling up inside of you and you're so frustrated that this minivan cut you off and you like cuss them out and you tell them that they are number one. <laughs> and you come up to the light, the next light, and you look at them glaringly like you're about ready to give them the what for, right? And all of a sudden you realize that they live in your neighborhood. <laughs> and you recognize them and they recognize you. And you're like, oh no. 
And what do you do? Immediately, you feel guilty. You feel full of shame. You start thinking things like, I am a terrible person. And I am a terrible Christian. And God is just, must be shaking his head in heaven and being like, you call yourself a Christian? And God's probably mad at me. And what are you telling yourself? You're like, I suck. And you just get so down. Now, now, now here's the thing. Just a few moments ago, you were sitting at the coffee shop. And your friend said to you something that they had done. And what did you say? You said, you know what? All you got to do is ask for forgiveness. And God will completely forgive you. And, and you know what? You are loved by God. You just got done telling your friend about grace, amazing grace that covers a multitude of sins and that God's grace reaches them. But now you're in a place where you need the grace, but yet your mind tells you that God's grace can't reach you. Can reach your friend, but not you. And God's love is great for your friend, But God's love is probably shaky for you. Why do you feel that way? Because deep down on the inside, you still have a little bit of that perfectionism, thinking that you have to earn God's love, and you got to earn God's forgiveness, and you got to act a certain way for God to love you and to bless you, and all of these things. And here's the thing. You put yourself in a different category, a category that is outside of the grace of God. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you can relate? Silently answer that. (laughs) see your shame, you feel guilt, you feel unworthy, you feel like disgraced. Some of us, we need to listen to our own sermons and our own life group studies, right? See, we still deal with that perfectionism to some degree, and we need to remember the teleos of the cross, the finished work, the perfect work, the completed work I am not advocating and saying it's okay to sin. I'm not saying that because here's the thing. It's like, it's like you know, sin separates us. It makes us feel guilty. We run. We have Adam and Eve syndrome. We run from God and we hide behind fig leaves. And yet, sin does these things. It has consequence. I'm not saying that you just go live any way you want. It's no big deal. No, no, no. Sin does have consequence. But here's the thing. It does not diminish God's love for you. And if you're a Christ follower, listen to this, if you're a Christ follower, God still loves you, he saved you. I used to lay in bed every night. Before I understood this, I used to lay in bed every night. And uh, I, would, I would have said something dumb to somebody. I would have, you know, gotten mad. I would have thought bad thoughts. And I'd lay in bed and I'd, I'd get saved all over again. I really would. I'd be like, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Every night, I got saved in my bed every night. Because you know why? I didn't understand what I'm talking to you about today. I still had a perfectionist mindset. I felt like depending on that day's works is whether God was going to save me and love me. All right? Here's the thing. If works can't save you, can works unsave you? Hmm. It's a whole other theology talk. All right? We're not going to go there. But this is what I know. This is what I know, that we must see ourselves correctly. And I must earn God's love and forgiveness is looking through the lens of perfectionism. But instead, if I say I've been made perfect through Christ, all of a sudden now I'm looking through the lens of grace. The lens of grace. 
There are three types of perfectionism that I want to talk about real quickly before I let you go. Three types of perfectionism, and probably all of us to some degree fall into one of these three categories. So the first one is self-inflicted perfectionism. A lot of us fall into this one. This is where I set an expectation of myself that is too high. In other words, I, I, I set a standard that's unrealistic, and every day I fall short of that standard. And when you set an unrealistic standard and you try to achieve that standard and you don't, you feel defeated. Some of you feel paralyzed, like you don't even want to try because you know you're going to fail, right? And, and so you don't live up to your own expectations. That's self-inflicted. The second one is this, others-inflicted. Others-inflicted perfectionism. Well, that means that you believe others are holding you to a higher standard than what you can achieve. Now, they may or may not be. It may be in your mind, or maybe they are. I don't know. But it is others inflicted. In other words, you're thinking people are constantly measuring you. They're constantly assessing whether you have value or not based upon what you do and whether you meet their standard. And so you're trying very, very hard to impress people. You're trying very hard, too, to make everybody happy, right? You don't want to make anybody unhappy because if you make them unhappy, all of a sudden they're going to think less of you. And so what you are, you're tired, you're defeated, you're personally worn out from trying to make everybody happy, right? You feel lonely. Here's the third one, outward projected perfectionism. What is this? This is when you impose an unrealistic expectation on someone else. You expect your husband to be something that he'll never be, your wife to be something she will never be able to achieve. You expect your workers or people in your, your employment, you know, in, your, in, your, in your company, your employees to be at a certain standard. You lack grace, you lack understanding, you lack empathy. In fact, some of you, you have someone in your life that's done this to you. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend who always is expecting you to do way more than you can do. And so what happens? You feel less than. You feel less than. And, and here's the thing. If you are the person projecting this or if you're the person that's being projected to on the unrealistic expectation, you feel like you can never win how are we doing today? We doing okay? Are we okay? Are we all right? Everybody take a breath. All right, take a breath. <laughs> all right. Gets kind of heavy when we start talking about it. See, I told you, we deal with perfectionism and we don't even realize it. It's all around us. In fact, even in between services, I had a businessman come up to me and say, at my work, I am completely valued and measured upon how many sales I make. That's why they value me. Or don't value me. See, all of us feel this, right? And so we start building this mindset. Now, here's a spiritual truth. Is that all three of these spiritual mindsets, the root of it is a spiritual problem. It's not just psychological, although it is psychological. It is also a spiritual problem. Here's the good news. Jesus fixes spiritual problems. Which means if you fall into any of those three categories, God can fix it. And I'm not just being trite by saying that or cute. 
He can fix the problem because it's a spiritual problem. Most of the time, we fear not being good enough or we fear not pleasing others, which makes us try to be perfectionist. We fear not making everybody happy or not being loved or we fear looking stupid or incompetent or unimportant. Really, the bottom line, the foundation of all three of those mindsets is fear. It's fear. So it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love. Now listen, not every kind of love, only a certain type of love has no fear. Perfect love. What is the Greek word for perfect? Teleos. Only in teleos love. What is teleos love? Teleos love is the love of the cross. It's the love of our Savior who said, it is teleos, finished. A love that is complete, perfect. It drives out all fear. So then, love has not been made perfect if anyone who is afraid because fear has to do with punishment. See, this verse is so important because it's basically saying that perfect love that only comes from a Savior, only comes from a Savior, is the kind that has no fear. What are you afraid of? Because we're all afraid of something. We're afraid that people might, un- might discover who we really are. We're afraid that we won't, you know, match up to or, or measure up to the expectations of our friends, our spouse, our, our kids, our parents, our professors. We, we fear that we're going to look stupid. What, what, what are you afraid of? You're afraid that, that if the, the achievements you have so far in your business, if those were to go away, now all of a sudden your value goes away? What, what are you afraid of? Let Jesus drive that fear out with his teleos kind of love, with his perfect love. You know, another way to interpret the word teleos They would use it in the ancient world to describe a boy who became a young adult who then became a man had, in a sense, had achieved maturity. That had, like, in a sense, grown. They were grown. And so they would say that they had, in a sense, kind of, in a sense, achieved a level of teleos, that they are now mature. Well, This is what I know. The longer you walk with God, and this takes a long time, by the way. This isn't like microwave. It's like it takes a long time. The longer you walk with God, the more that you mature in your relationship with Jesus, the more that fear is driven out. What used to make you afraid, now all of a sudden that fear is driven out because you are embracing a perfect love that comes from a Savior. And... And so we all can mature in this area, right? We begin to rightly understand that we are not perfect, but we are being perfected. And there seems to be two types of people today as I close. Two types of people. There are those on one extreme that are striving. They're taking the broken pieces of their life and their imperfection and their mistakes and they're trying to glue them together 
and they're trying so hard to look perfect in their own efforts, and it just isn't working. And then there's another group of people that seem to be on the opposite end of the spectrum, and this group of people are ones that think that they are perfect, like they're God's gift to mankind, and they fail to understand their need for Jesus. But a mature follower of Jesus is right in the middle, not over here striving and not over here deceived, but right in the middle, knowing without Jesus, I am a sinner missing the mark. But with Jesus, I am perfected because of the work of the cross. So can you bring your broken pieces to God? Can you admit, I'm imperfect, I'll never be perfect. At the end of the day, I fall short. But I know this, that I serve a God that in his perfection, he begins to take the pieces of our lives and he starts to create something beautiful. He takes our failures, our shortcomings. He takes that divorce. He takes that failure that you didn't want to talk about, that no one knows about. He takes that hurt, that pain, your poor choices. He takes the pieces and in his Telios love, in his forgiveness, he begins to create a brand new life for us. It's not a perfect life of performance, but it is a perfected life in the position of his love. Perfect love, forgiveness, and grace. You ever heard of a mosaic before? It's a type of art where artists, the creators of the art, take broken pieces of pottery or glass and they take what is really just garbage like you would all throw this away you'd put this in the garbage but they take this along with all kinds of broken pieces and they start to create something beautiful here is a picture of saint george's church in serbia it's one of the largest mosaics in the world it has 725 painted compositions. There are 1,500 figures that are created. It is 38,000 square feet. It's huge. And listen to this. It has 40 million pieces of broken glass with 15,000 different color variations. And it creates something beautiful. God can take your garbage he can take the shattered pieces of your wrong choices and he can create something that is absolutely magnificent and beautiful. He can create a brand new life. Because on your own, you can't create this. But with God, he can create a mosaic of your broken pieces. Do you want that today? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes because God is creating a masterpiece, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, I deal with perfectionism, maybe you might say, I didn't even realize I dealt with it until you started talking about it, Jer, and now I know I deal with it and I need God to help me with perfectionism. Doesn't mean you're going to just presto magic, never deal with it again after we say this prayer, but you're like, I admit it. I repent of it, and I need God's help because I'm striving to earn God's love and other people's love. I'm striving to be perfect, and it's something that's an exercise in futility. And today, I embrace the work of the cross that has perfected me. You may have been saved for decades, and today you realize that you're a perfectionist. 
I don't know. But if you say, I'm dealing with it and I need help, just raise your hand and put it right back down again. Yep, hands are up everywhere. Lord, I pray right now for every person. I pray that, God, that you would help us to realize that your perfect love drives out all the fear that drives us to perfectionism and that, Lord, we embrace your unconditional, perfect love. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. Lord, we can't buy it. Lord, we can't achieve it. You freely give it to us. And today, I pray that we would, as City First, realize the height, the width, and the depth of your incredible, incredible love. Lord, we are loved regardless of what we do, how we perform, who we impress. We are perfected in you because of the work of the cross. Also, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, today I want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life. Jerry, you talked about doing this. I want to do that today. Today you're not joining a church. You're not becoming a member. You're not doing any of that. You're basically just saying, forgive me of my sin, God. I want a new life. I want a mosaic life. Take the broken pieces and make a mosaic out of it. If that's you and you want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, just raise your hand and put it right back down. Yep, hands are up. Can we all say this prayer in closing together? Jesus, take my brokenness and make something beautiful. Forgive me for all my sin. I accept your unconditional and perfect love. Be the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together, all right?